Okay, well, uh, let me invite you in into the journey, okay? Maybe it's a little bit like watching the, sec- the sequel to something, because we're, we're three chapters in, but you've got all the, it's all written right here in the scripture. If you want to go back, you can also check out our sermons previously on the, the book of John. We're going through the book of John is what we call it. But really what it is, is it's, it's John, what he wrote down, John who, who followed Jesus, what he wrote down about the life of Jesus. And so I'm sharing with that with you. And my, real, my prayer is, and I even ask God, Lord, please use this to teach us new things that we don't know, remind us of the things that we already knew, and lead us to follow you. Make it help and change our lives, I pray, Jesus. Amen. And, and I, I think I could say that John wants that too. He even says that he would hope that we would believe. He's writing this so we would believe more. But we are, we're marching slowly through this. So grab your Bibles, John chapter 3, and beginning with verse 22. Now, right before this, what's happened is, you guys heard of Passover? Yes. So, in, in the Jewish culture, right, when there was, when there was Passover, um, all, the, all the Jews would have to go where? All the Jewish people throughout the land. To Jerusalem, right? So, Jesus went there, and John tells us, listen, Jesus was doing all these really amazing things, and it caught the eyes of the Pharisees, like the religious leaders. And so there was a guy, remember his name? We just talked about him quite a few weeks. Started with an N. What was the guy's name? Nicodemus. So Jesus had this whole conversation with Nicodemus. He dropped the John 3.16 bomb right on him. We've been there. And now, now we're, we're kind of flipping the page, if you will, on, on to the next little section of scripture. So look at verse 22. After this, so that's what, after this, all the stuff with Nicodemus, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John, who's John? Right? It gets confusing, right? There's John, the guy that followed Jesus who wrote this. And then there's John, we call him John the Baptist. Uh, what, do we, what do you remember about John the Baptist? He, whoa, yes, he baptized, yes, yes. Gold sticker over here for Scott. What's that? He made straight the way of the Lord. That's what they had said for a long time. There's one who's coming because the Messiah is going to come, but someone before him is going to show up, and he's going to start making the way, and that's what was happening. He was John the baptizer. He was baptizing, right? Um, he was Mary's cousin, Elizabeth's child, Okay. And, and who was married to a priest, right? And remember, his, they were old also, and they had the baby, and, the, and Zachariah, the dad, didn't believe it, and he lost his ability to speak until he was born. Really a miraculous thing. There's this scene where Mary goes, Mary, the mother of Jesus, goes and sees her cousin, and the babies, like, interact, right, in the womb. So, so really amazing stuff. And John, he's going out throughout this land, quite a strange fellow, right? Living in the wilderness, not, not what you would expect of some evangelist. He didn't have a pretty suit or anything, you know, with a pocket square to wipe his head, but he didn't have all that going. So John was also baptizing at Anon near, near Salem, where these cities don't exist anymore. So we're not going to get fixated on that. The idea is because the water was plentiful there, they needed water to baptize and to live, 
We don't get that in Prescott Valley, but yes, we, you, you don't just live where there's no water. Um, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet but been put in prison. So that's there. It kind of gives us a time, like a placeholder. Because if we, if we were to look, we can read into the future, John is, is arrested, right? John the Baptist, that is, is arrested. And, and he ends up being killed. But this is before that happens. So here's what happens. Here's a, a map. You can see Judea, Judea, depends on how you like to pronounce it. Um, I'm, I speak Prescott Valley, so either one works for me. Uh, what you'll see is those really weird little blue lines. I've read about that. They're called like rivers and streams and stuff. So you can kind of see in the red up here, you've got Jerusalem, right? So apparently he left Jerusalem and went to where some of the water was. So they really think he was in, in the countryside over here where all the water was um, and, and camping. And so you've got, so what you end up having is you've got John the Baptist, he's going around and based on what the scripture is telling us, you can find this in Matthew 3, verse 2. He's saying this, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Translation, he's going around all the land and he's just telling the people, man, I, I know this is life. And there's a way that we do that. But I'm telling you, the kingdom of God is here. It's coming, right? Like, you need to prepare yourself. You need to change the direction of your thoughts in your life away from what the world is telling you to do and get on the same page with God, the one who made us. So that's what John was saying. And, and then he, he would baptize them, it said, for the, the forgiveness of sins, or the repentance, the cleansing, right? It was the metaphor to say, God will forgive you. Now let's baptize you to show you like a, a physical picture of a spiritual reality, right? This idea that like all that you've done, I know that you feel handicapped by it, but this God can wash it all away. And people heard this and it was challenging, but some people who had less were pumped, right? To use a, a good biblical term, pumped, Chris. They were, they were jacked, man. They were, what's, I don't know, what's a Zoomer way to say that? I don't even know. Yeah, right? <laughs> That's that's dated. Yeah, but anyway. <laughs> Maybe it was lit. I don't know, right? Maybe. No, that's not the right word for it either. But but anyway, what do you guys think? Help me. What's the right word for that? Man, you like heard that. Like every all the bad stuff that you did, you could be forgiven. What would a YouTuber say about that? They would call it what? They would get. <laughs> Maybe they would say that's fire, right? That's fire. That's well, anyway. I'm trying to get the translation. I'm getting my beard's turning gray. I'm getting old. Um well, now we, now we have this picture. You see John and his disciples are doing that. A few of his disciples have become Jesus' disciples, right? And so now they're doing a similar thing, hanging out by where the water is in the countryside. They've left the city where all the religious leaders are, right? They're following him out there, of course, because we're good about that. But then Jesus is telling people, recorded in Matthew four seventeen, from then on, right after his temptation in the wilderness, Jesus began to preach. He said the same thing. Repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Okay, you, got, you got the picture in your head? These two groups of guys, they're out there. There's the teachers and then their disciples are baptizing people. You're gonna love this because this is people, Corey. This is people. This is what we do. It's funny. So it's going cool. It's going smooth. And then... 
verse 25, now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, right? Like they delivered the sermon and someone's like, well, that's a great sermon, but really let me tell you what you should have told everyone is what's happening, right? Like, okay. So they're having a discussion over purification. Doesn't say specifically, but look where it goes next. And they came to John, his disciples, and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Jesus, like, we don't have a line anymore. You know, Jesus is like taking all of our people, John. Like, what are we going to do? That guy, right? Everyone's going to him and they're ignoring you. Like, are you sure about this dude, right? He's got that feathered hair, right? The blue eye. Yeah, it's just weird. He doesn't, doesn't fit in here in Arab culture, but somehow he's always carrying a little lamb and he has feathered hair. No, that's not Jesus either. But you can imagine how much that would throw people off if that was, come be baptized, my child. But he's like, look, he's baptizing and everyone's going to him. So then John answered this. John answered, a person could not receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Now, oh, okay, this is going to require a drink of water on this one. So think, let me ask you this question. Think about it for a minute. When we read in the scripture, there's this, this weird word called context. And sometimes it, it, it comes part of a conversation, right? And then we blow it up to be like this absolute, oh, Right, a person cannot receive one thing. We're, we're chanting it to the heavens. So you've got to ask yourself throughout all that was been given to us, written in the scripture, is this a truth, an always truth, applicable to you and I, or is this a circumstantial, situational truth for this moment, right? If that, does that make sense? Is this part of a conversation in context, or is this something you and I can put on a magnet and put on a refrigerator, right? That's, that's an important question. Well, the best way I know how to deal with that, pray, ask the Holy Spirit to, to d- help you discern that. Um, I believe he's saying this is a fact. This one is what's happening, God is in control, right? And so James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote in a letter later on to Christians. He wrote, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That's, I'm quoting from James 1, 16 and 18. So what, what I'm telling you is here is a fact, right, that... Everything, you've got to understand that even if God isn't interfering in the moment, at least he's allowing the thing to happen. In light of our free will, we can do really silly things, and it takes an unchanging, amazing God to use it. Okay? And sometimes, right, and sometimes he's behind the wheel. Even if you got ran over by the tractor, he might have been driving it. That, he can do that. That happened, right? Well, not the tractor, but he did that in the scripture too. I mean, if you look at the story of, of right, Job and what happened with him, um, you can kind of see that. So 
And in Prescott Valleyism, it's like this. It's like John's trying to say, John the Baptist to his followers. But John, like this guy that you talked about, he's over there. Like you see him, he's stealing all our people and he's got, he stole some of our, our followers and like, oh. And he's like, quit freaking out. Quit freaking out, guys. God has a plan. The father has a plan. He's got this. He's got us. This is how he's unfolding his plan before our eyes. Okay, John. 28. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ. He's not the Messiah, the anointed one that was supposed to save them, rescue them. I'm not the one, John says. I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Okay? Prescott Valley's. Okay. The one who has the bride is the husband. Okay? The, the one being married, going to be married to the wife. The bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, also known as, what do we call it? The best man. Okay. So the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, for this joy of mine is now complete. Um, what? Right? Like, what? There's a metaphor here, right? There's, there's, a, there's a metaphor here about this Messiah and that, that God himself had taken a bride and the bride is, was known in the past as the Israelites, right? It's, it's even referred to in, in Revelation and, and Ephesians 5. Paul writes to the Christians later on. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ, the bridegroom, loved the church. And he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So, so what's happening is he's saying, guys, listen, I want you to understand something. The bride is for the groom. I'm, I'm not the groom. I'm not the groom. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I'm the best man. And what does a best man do? Like, let's, let's take this metaphor to our day. What, any of you been married or been a best man? What does the best man do? If you're new here, I, I, I'm not a good preacher if you don't help me. So you guys got to speak up. He makes, are, go right. he makes sure things go right. Okay. What's that? Make sure he has the rings. He's a witness. He's a witness. He keeps the bride or the groom He keeps the groom straight. Quick story. Okay. As it's been once said, I have what the doctors call a little bit of a weight problem. So every suit jacket doesn't necessarily fit me. We thought it would be cool instead of going to the one place in town when we got married to get tuxes, we tried a little small business. Well, this lady, God bless her soul. How would you say that in the South? God bless her little soul or something. She confused two weddings. So we're there getting ready and I've got a little coat. Not the size I ordered. Apparently, she mixed up the weddings, okay? 
So I tried to find the biggest coat among the men that were with me, and I used that one, right? They gave, it was about me that day, right? They wanted, they wanted, well, it was really about the brides, but yeah, but as far as the, right, like, woo, like they come down the aisle, I lo- that's the best thing when you do the wedding is to see the groom's face when he sees the bride, right? Like, well, that's so cool. Um, but that's what the bridegroom does. He's like, look at him. My boy, like, yeah, have my jacket, have my shoes, right? Whatever it takes so that the bride sees you and that you, that you can be there for the bride. And then that whole, oh, this is like bad language right here, Ephesians 5 for all the husbands. I mean, how many of you think about your love for your wife, how you can just help her and, and you know, just illustrate how beautiful and wonderful she is rather than what you can get from her? It's not how most husbands think, but that's how the perfect husband, Jesus, thinks, right? So, so this is, he's like, listen, guys, I was here. Once the wedding start, then the, all the groomsmen do this. And then once the ring's done, they're like the first ones to escape. Jackets off, dancing, it's done. They've done what they can so that the groom and the bride can be put first and foremost. And so John's like, that was me. That was me. Now I gave him my coat. This is good. So then he's like, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Then he goes on and he says this. He must increase, but I must decrease. Back to that same question. Is this something offered in... in the context of a conversation, or is this a truth you should hold on to and put it on your coffee mug, right? Well, yeah, it's, it's kind of complicated, but what I would say is, I'll kind of talk a little bit more about that later, but yeah, in a way, your will, your needs become, you know, submitted to God because you trust that he's going to take care of you. So in this way, he increases that you, that your will might decrease. But the cool thing about God is, when his will increases, it carries you. That's why it's tricky, right? Because uh, unfortunately for him, right, but he had a great plan, that I happen to be a house where God lives. And so does every believer. So there, I have to be involved because I'm where he lives. I'm his hands and his feet, right? And his elbows and his, his toes and his mouth right now as he has taken the throne, and so for me to decrease to the point where I'm just like, oh, self-depreciating, right? I can't do that. I have to be a light into the world. So my will decreases, his increases, but I increase to carry his will in his presence. Confusing, I know. It's going to take you forever to get it. And when you get close, we'll do your funeral. Okay? Feel good? Does that feel good? Holiday tidings to you? This is great. Okay, John 3, 31, he who comes from above, right? Jesus, this guy, the groom, he's coming from above. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth. That's me and you and John. And he speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Man, he's seen things and heard things we don't. Yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. (laughs) 
Why'd you, do, why, why'd you come? I wanted to come testify to the truth, Jesus told Pilate. Because you can't see it. It's like when I wake up and Brandon's like, did you hear the sirens last night? No. I wouldn't even know they existed if she wasn't such a light sleeper, right? She, she gave a witness to a thing I did not hear. His witness, God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the word of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. Like he's not holding back. Like Jesus not only speaks to the truth, but he, gives, he brings to you the full power of God to help you navigate this. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. And there's debate, guys, about whether John, this is John's voice, the, the apostle rather than John the Baptist. Whoever believes in, verse 36. This got all weird. Um, Anyway, whoever believes in, and the word here is that if you were here a while ago, we talked about the difference between believing in and believing on. Okay? Briefly, believing in, the the Greek words here are pistuo ice. Believing in. And, And what it's saying is what it takes to receive that rescue from Jesus is to believe in him. Not just believe about him, but believe in him. It's more than that. But if you want to take it to a whole nother level, you've got to believe on to the point where I'm on, I'm believing on him so much that if he doesn't come through, I'm falling flat on my face. It's just different. But here's the, here's the cool thing for you and I. He didn't say, I'm not going to save you until you're like believing on me, like full plank, right? He's like, when you believe in me, when you take, when you get to intellectual acknowledgement of my existence, and then you believe in it, that's when I, I rescue you. So whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey, and the idea is here is that they do not allow themselves to be persuaded. They do not comply with. They refuse or withhold belief in the Son. So whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. So this right here is probably like a whole semester of theology class, okay, that we can't quite tackle. But what I'm telling you here is it's interesting. If you take it in pieces, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, okay? But if you don't don't lean into him, if you don't believe in him, If you don't allow him to keep persuading you, you will never see life. And this is what I see amongst people who say they believe, is they still seem not alive. Right? I mean, I feel that sometimes. And they changed my first name to pastor, and sometimes I just feel like a zombie, right? Like, even though I have all this hope. It's so easy to see that for the future, but in every day, if I want to see life, I have to believe in Jesus for this. If I want to see real life, I have to believe on Jesus for it. I've got to lean in in such a way, this plane is going to crash if I don't, if he doesn't take the wheel. But then he says, you know, what's coming is wrath. God's wrath is coming. 
in an age where we love to talk about grace and mercy, those are all really great, but God's wrath is still coming. I mean, it's, it's pouring out now as your body's decaying. It's pouring out now with all the diseases and the wars and the rumor of wars. It's, it's pouring out now with all the evil in the world. It's, it's, it's been given over as, as they just said in John, but the darkness has come, but the light is here, right? We prefer the darkness where we can hide instead of the light. That's all part of God's current wrath and his final wrath will come destroy things and set them right. And that's not not coming because Jesus is here. You get that? It's not not coming. Proper English? Does it work for you guys? Okay, cool. The question is, will you take it on or have you allowed Jesus to take it on for you? So here's this really cool story, right? To recap, people do what people do. Jesus, the forerunner came, right? John the Baptist He's, he's spreading this message. He's going this way. Jesus and his people come. Jealousy, right? Jealousy, insecurity. John is saying, stop. Let me tell you what's happening. This is great. This is great. Jesus is coming. Now let's change the narrative. More than just simply saying, repent, change your mind, get ready, because the Messiah is coming. He goes, the Messiah is here. And let me tell you something about him. Let me tell you something about him. He's not from here, right? He's not from here. He's from above. He sees the things you don't see. He comes from the Father. He comes to rescue you and bring you hope. Right? And he goes, it's all part of God's plan. So we have to decrease so he can increase. And that was a hard pill for them to swallow. Now, where, where I want to just sort of stay in the parking lot here with the AC on for a little bit here is just this question. What did John the Baptist, the question is this, what did John the Baptist know that you and I need to learn? Matthew 11 it says two things which are really important, I think, for us. One, early on in verse 11 here, it, it talks about this idea that John the Baptist was like the greatest of men ever born from woman in terms of faith and what he did. I mean, he had a fully sacrificed life. Like from the beginning, he was set apart for God's work, right? I mean, at a level that none of, I don't think any of us know, right? Because we weren't created by God to come before Jesus. I mean, we have a, a minor role like that, but this guy was like eating locusts and, right? Instead of cheeseburgers like the rest of us. Um, but it says this, that he is the greatest of men born from woman. But when, we, when it comes to heaven, even the least there are gonna be far greater than he could even imagine to be. I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I believe... I believe even though this life isn't everything, I believe it matters. If I can communicate this right. What you're going through and what you're learning, there's a purpose. Because if your eternal life, according to the scripture, starts now, there's some kind of investment in who you are eternally that's happening now. Right?
And so what we look forward to is when we enter the kingdom of heaven, it's no longer, well, John's really great, but I could never be there. What God is saying is if you join me in my kingdom, even the least of you will be so much greater than John could ever imagine being. But here's what's crazy. Here's, what's, here's what I love about our God and about the reality of the humanity of, of his creation and his understanding of sin is in that same chapter, there's this, this story that happens. By then, John the Baptist is arrested, okay? He's not getting out this time. He's arrested. After all of this, he sends some of his followers to Jesus and like, are you really the Messiah? Are you like really the one we've been waiting for? Because stuff is getting real, right? Like, oh, And we can try to use our intellect to make that less. But you know what it speaks to my heart? And what I want to share with you is here, John the Baptist, this great guy, still had a journey, still had a path where he's like, when the rubber really hit the road, when he was going to lose his head over this thing, it was like, okay, so I'm right, right? Like, go ask him. I was right to do this. You really are, you really can rescue me. Do you see that? And I love it because that's kind of how I live. At one moment, I'm like, whoa, you have just blown my mind, God. And the next minute, I'm like, okay, do I need to do this or can I really count on you to do it? And when you look through all the the written history in the scriptures, you see that. They're like, he parts the Red Sea and they walk through. And then like four verses later, like, this is sucks, man. When are you going to do something for us, God? And you're like, holy Paul, right? Like, this is how we are. Well, God, I won the lottery, but it was only $2.3 billion instead of four. I'm going to need at least another billion in taxes. I mean, this is how we act. Like, Lord, when are you going to do something for me lately? And even the best guy ever who wasn't God, John, he still was like going to jail and being like, are you really? Did I just make a big mistake here? I just need to be reassured. I just need to be reassured. I'll tell you what's not in Matthew 12 is where Jesus says, well, John doubted, so he's out. Thank you, God, for not writing that in there. In my own words, what John was saying first, let me go back to this husband-wife metaphor, okay? Um, we don't do this right, husband-wife stuff. You guys with me? Anyone else? Yeah? Like, that's, oh, man. Okay. But ultimately, like family, especially a husband and a wife, it, it's, a, it's like a competition of service, really. It's like I love you more than I love myself. So today, I want, I want to love you. And, and sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that's speaking truth. But sometimes it's encouraging you. It's both. But For everything, I want you to grow and be more than you are today and to be seen for how wonderful you are, right? And so so Jesus did that by dying for you and I. So then all the sin that we dealt with, he died for. So you don't get off scot-free. There was a big price paid, but he wanted to see you purified and lifted up so much that he died for that, right? 
And then he says, I've got all this taken care of, so now you can love me and love others. And, but I'm going to show you how. And so what John, what John the Baptist is beginning to, to, to see here, but, but keep in mind, in verse 11 of Matthew, he starts to say, oh, man, did I make a big mistake, okay? So if you can at least grab this today, when, when we close up, if you can at least grab this today, and when you go places and talk to other believers, would you guys talk about this some, okay? And then next week, I'll remind you of more stuff you already know. But we'll keep doing this until we get home. But I need you also to understand that you are learning this at the same time that you're supposed to be reaching out to the world because the world doesn't know this. And by the world, I mean not countries. I'm talking about people, all the places that you go. And and it wouldn't be like some speech. It would be relationships. It would take a long time. Okay? Those people you talk to, I don't even expect to see them here. If they came, great. But, But share your life. Share what you're learning with people around you. But understand this. I think what we have to do is if we want to decrease, but at the same time have God increase through us, then we need to have joy and not fake joy. It turns out at Sprouts, they sell a pill that does that, I guess. I saw it the other day. I told Brandy, it says joy on there. That's all it took this whole time was a pill. (laughs) So I'll have some next week. It'll be great, right? Yeah. All of you wear your Converse. We'll wear jumpsuits and drink Kool-Aid. Yeah. But It's not just a pill. Like, it's going to take a process, and oh, man, I wish I knew this better. But I know it's true, and every once in a while I get a taste of it, and I want some more. And that's this, that John knew this. He knew that real joy came when our way becomes less important, and his way becomes more important. Rewind all the way back to Genesis. You can eat of any tree in the garden, but don't eat of this one. Oof. (laughs) Hey, guys, God is holding out on you. He knows how great it would be. He wants you to live some, like, sugar-free life, right? Like, it's not going to be sweet. It's going to give you a tumor in your brain. It's It's not good, right? Like, okay, he said, try this instead. And so they started saying, my way is more important. His way is less important. So the whole story of what's happening, and we're in the middle of it somewhere, is uh, we're trying to shift back to where it started. And once this is all said and done, those who catch on, right, will come to see that his way was so much better and so full of joy. So full of joy. So that's what I want you to think about. Let me give you a little illustration of it, and then I'll come back to that point. When I coach soccer for small kids... We would play three on three, okay, a little beehive soccer. And it was kind of fun because I'd have like six kids on the team. And really what would happen is I had three kids. So there's quite a few years of this. Um, and if you've, you've been around youth soccer, you know, you, you'll see this. There's maybe two kids on that team that have any idea what they're doing, right? They got an older sibling or their dad has a jumpsuit and is pretty sure they're going to be professional. So those two kids, they're, they're good. And they know to kick the ball and everyone else does this. Or they cry. Or then there's the butterfly. Those are the kids, right? So it starts with one or two that get it. And then what's crazy is their parents are a little bit like, honey, we're going to have to keep working because this kid's not going to be our meal ticket through soccer. But what happens is as you go through a nine-game season, there's like little Billy over here, 
And it's the craziest thing. He's been watching those two that know what they're doing. And so I've pulled those kids out because they're killing the other kids. And you got the little kids. And then little Billy all of a sudden steals the ball, dribbles it down the field, and kicks it in. And his parents, like, fall out of their seat. Right? What happened? And it's so cool. It's like the light comes on. The light comes on. Lord, teach us about joy. And, that, and that's what I want to pray. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching this, okay? Because I can't, I can do whatever I want. I can't change Prescott Valley or your house or the place you work. God can. God can. I, even our church has to become less so that he can become more. Our way has to be less. And, and in order for us to do what God asked us to do. We're working in our lives with, through Christ, being transformed, and then we're also sharing. Just sharing with our love, with like weird things like cookies and hi and conversations at a mailbox, the stuff that takes decades and doesn't seem to go anywhere, but you don't realize how far it goes. Real joy comes when my way becomes less more important and his way becomes more important. Lights on, right? Like little Billy stealing that soccer ball and going down. So I'm invite the worship team to come on up and I'm just gonna pray. Uh, Jesus, I, you know me, I want to recap everything I said. This is not what you have. Like you, you are putting this in the hearts of the men and women here, Lord. I pray that you would just keep coming for us and, and that you would just well up in us, Lord. Those who believe and those who have you living in them, your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just grow and, and well up in us in such a way that you, you come just right from our face, Lord, right from our hands and our feet. And we start walking, that we just, our eyes light up, ding, like, like Billy kicking the soccer ball, like joy, that's it. It's not a pill, it sprouts, it's you. And Lord, the people on the fence, man, we need, we, shame on us because our joy should make them jump off the fence and say, Amen. And so people who are on the fence today, Jesus, I pray that you'd move in their hearts. And maybe it's today and maybe it's 10 years from now, but bring them in to the fold. Bring them in to the people seeking joy from you and not from things. So Lord, we take this time to just sort of meditate on this idea where in our lives, Lord, are we doing it our way instead of yours? And help us to change our mind and change our